In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hear many times people say, maybe out of ignorance, maybe out of foolishness, for whatever reason, that the spiritual life is boring, and even if we were to go to heaven, what would we do? And of course, that we shouldn't really uh, feel anger with these people because if someone has never tasted something, it would be very hard for us to explain to the person what is spiritual life and what is the joy, etc., that one feels here on earth, because as St. John of Cronstein says, that uh, the church is heaven on earth. So when we come to church, we are tasting as much as is possible due to our passions and pride, etc. We are actually tasting a bit of heaven. The more humble we are, the more spiritual we are, the more we taste of it. Once one has tasted that, then the worldly life has no longer any appeal. That's why we see many of our Holy Fathers and the modern-day saints as well, like we've been doing in our monthly talks, Elder Porfirios, Elder Paisios, that there's no point in trying to make someone stop their worldliness or even sometimes their sins, I mean, you can tell them, you can bring to their attention that what they're doing is wrong, but unless that person has actually come into contact with Christ, in other words, that God has given that person the grace, then nothing makes sense. Now, some of you today, because it was in English, and some of you already go to English services, which is good, would have heard the words, and even though the service took an hour and a half, some people say to me later on, oh, it was like it was ten minutes. Or even when they come to the talk, the talk might take three hours, and they say to me it was like it was half an hour. Or when they read a spiritual book, they might read a spiritual book and they're, and they're reading, 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 but yet time passes. What does that mean? That's God given us the small taste of paradise. In paradise, there is no time. There's no time. In paradise, there's no pain. In paradise, there's no tears. In paradise, all there is is joy, love, worship of God, etc. Some of you have experienced that by partaking in the church's services. Some of you may have experienced it today to some extent. But unfortunately, when we leave the church, a lot of times we lose this grace, we lose this little taste of paradise, of heaven, we lose this communion with God because of the world, sins, our passions, our ego, etc., what cuts us off from God is our lack of love, 
our lack of faith and what is the cause of all this is pride. Another question that many people ask is why do, why do the Orthodox emphasise the saints? And they make accusations such that we are saint worshippers and worshippers of icons, etc. And again, you can't really put these people down because some of them belong to churches that have lost the meaning of the saints from centuries ago. Like, for example, many Protestant churches, they actually have lost the meaning of the saints. Or they say, them, or they say that they are saints. But why, it's a, it's a good question, because just in case sometimes we become a bit confused, why do we have an emphasis on the saints? And the, and the um, answer is we don't have an emphasis on the saints. We have an emphasis on Christ, but the saints help us because when we actually venerate a saint, what are we actually doing? We're actually showing our honour. We are glorifying God. We are glorifying, in other words, Christ, who made the saint what he or she is. As we heard today in the Akathist, the Saint Sanya and the Paraklesis, we heard many references that Saint Ksenia's holiness came from her struggle and her love of Christ. By taking away the saints from our church life, we lose contact with Christ because they are, we would not be able to know how to go towards Christ without the saints because the saints are our example. As I've said before during the talks, that we hear people, parents, for example, that complain at times, if they've got the mind to complain, that their children are following examples in the world, whether they be pop stars or those singers, whether they be athletes, whether they be sports people, whether they be um, uh, gangsters, some of them even follow because they watch those things from young, so they become inclined to whatever. And I say to them, it is natural, it's normal for us because we are creatures who imitate, we follow. You can see that a child that's been brought up by, certain, by their parents, how the, the child takes on certain mannerisms. One can say oh, it's because it was born that way. But that's one part of it. But a lot of part of it is as well, is because the child absorbs what he or she sees. And as adults, we also have this thirst to look and imitate. And that's why we see at bookshops some of the best sellers are biographies, people's lives, or when we watch a movie, or when someone watches television. They want to know about people's lives. If that wasn't the case, then all those magazines that, that, um, that they sell, which speak about people's lives, actors' lives, singers' lives, everyone's life. Everyone wants to know everyone's life. But the only, but the only problem with that is a lot of times these people's lives have nothing of worth. Does that mean I'm putting these people down? No. 
I'm putting down that that they've got nothing worthwhile to give. What are we going to take from that? Their drug habits? Their sexual passions? What are we going to take? But yet, this is what a lot of people, including adults, are moving towards. They want to be like these people. Even women, they want to be um, like the models. Men want to be good-looking or to have a good body or whatever. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. So we are people who imitate. But why did God give us that? Because God gave us that. Why? He gave it to us so we can follow and imitate that which is holy. And why St. Paul says, uh, like, be like me, follow me. And St. Paul, we know, his life was according to Christ. So we have our saints, and our saints are so important in our lives in that they help us to unite with Christ. So we don't worship the saints. We have the saints as examples. We ask the saints for their help. They help us. We follow their examples, we said, as we said. So that we construct, we put together services to the saints. We just had one now. Why does God want us to have the saints? Why can't we just, as the Protestants say, why can't we just pray directly to God? Why do we have to have the saints? Well, there was a part in the service which says, Wondrous is God in his saints, an Old Testament thing. Wondrous is God in his saints. How do we really get to know God when, if that's the case, why is it that so many churches that have just the gospel are so confused and they divide up into millions of pieces if it is enough to have the gospel, if it is enough to have the teachings of Christ as they say, then why are there so many thousands of pieces today in the world? And the answer is very simple, because they've lost tradition, the lives of saints. God wants us, because he knows that this is the best, to follow the saints. Even Elder Paistus, as, we've, as we read, he says, don't compare yourselves to other Christians. Compare yourself with the saints. Look at the saints. How much people lose out. St. John Chrysostom goes as far as to say, and I've said this before, that he or she who does not read the lives of saints can't be saved. Now, some of you might find that shocking. Why can't we be saved if we believe in Christ? But how do you know you believe in Christ? Because I read the Bible. Because some people say, I believe in Christ and therefore I will be saved. But St. James, I think, says in the, in the Bible there, in the epistles, in his, in his epistle that, it, do you fear God? That's good. Do you believe in God? That's good. But even the demons believe. Even the demons confess that Christ is the Son of God, as we see 
from the gospel. So that's not enough just to say, I believe. It's not enough just to say, I read the gospel. But we need those lives of saints. Take with you today home the following. What St. John Chrysostom says. Remember, St. Paul is the mouth of Christ. And the mouth of St. Paul is St. John Chrysostom. In other words, whatever St. John Chrysostom says, it's as if St. Paul says it. And whatever St. Paul says, it's as if Christ has said it. That's how the church, that's why we call him Chrysostom, which is a Greek word, which means golden mouth. His mouth was golden because what came out of it was soul-saving, was precious, like gold. Well, above gold, because gold's not really worth it, because when you die, you can't take gold with you. So that's a very, very, uh, that sounds very harsh that one could, if I said it, people would say, oh, he's mad, and people would go around and say, he must be deceived, and how can he say such a ridiculous thing? But we've got to be very careful, that's why I try not to say things like that, but we have to say what the saints say. And the sa and St. John Chrysostom says, as do all the saints, without the lives of saints, one cannot be saved. What do we learn from the lives of saints? Why are they important? What did we learn from St. Xenia's example, which you're going to all get a book today with the Akathist, her life and the Akathist. What do we learn from St. Xenia? We learn that her husband died drunk at a party. He dropped dead and he did not have time to repent, nor did he have time to uh, take, partake of the mysteries of Christ. So he died even though he was a chanter. Some, because some people believe if you're a chanter or a reader or a, or, a, or a subdeacon or a priest or a deacon or a monk or whatever, it means automatically that we go to heaven. If that was the case, then the husband of Saint Xenia went straight to heaven. But we know that that did not happen because it's not enough to have position, but you must have Christ within your heart. And he did not have that. That that unsettled Saint Xenia. That unsettled her. And she became disturbed. It, one, one can say in, in everyday terms, it knocked her out that her husband died without repentance. Remember, up to that time, she wasn't religious either. But the death shook her. Then she goes away for a period of time, some say to a monastery, and then she came back, back to St. Petersburg there, or well, that's where she, I don't know if she was from there, but that's where she ended up, and she, be, and she became, and she had this life of a fool for Christ. What's, and what do we learn from that? Because there are references in the Bible which talk about to be fools. What's that? Well, we see this in action. It's not enough just to read it in the Bible. Be fools. What is fool? What? What does that mean? If you just read it from the Bible. We need to know by reading the lives of saints what that means. And the answer is that she, even though she had miraculous powers, that she did not want to be given any glory. She wanted all that to be away from her because she knew that praise and glory that people give us 
is destructive. What, is, what do we learn from that? We learn that perhaps when we praise and glorify our children, that we're actually destroying them. But I think that might be correct because even now in modern psychology, not that we take much notice of what they say, but let's just take that part of it because they got it right, is that they've noticed that a lot of people who are mentally ill today is because they were over-praised and over-glorified by their parents and therefore they can't function without that glory. And that's the opposite too when they've been put down continually. That's another bad one. Got to be in the middle. So we learn from that. But doesn't Christ say in the gospel that we are to reject the pride? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing and all those type of things. But yet, even though all that exists, and even though people read this in the Bible, in, the, in particular in the New Testament, still people do not understand pride. People have no idea of pride. They go, I'm humble. Or I love God. Or this or that. Or I'm sinful, they say. Because that's what it says in the Bible. But when you read the lives of saints, then what's said in the Bible makes sense. Because we see it from Saint Xenia. Uh, for today's example, and many other saints, we see her example. She wanted to be spat at. She wanted to be hit, because the little children used to hit her as well, make fun of her for her rocks. She was put down, even though she was the one who was keeping that city, which was, by the way, one of the most sinful cities in Russia, because it was, I think, um, well, it was, it was the capital. Most of the time, all, sin all cities are, ca are, are sinful, but I think that was pretty bad there. And she would be praying for them. She would secretly pray for people. People didn't even know that she was praying for them. Don't look at the life which later on people began to notice things. But in general, that went after many, many years. So for many years she prayed for people. She helped so many people. And those people in the city, she protected that city. She blessed that city, and that city would put her down, make fun of her, spit at her, hit her, throw rocks at her, etc., and have her as being insane, etc., etc. So what we learn from that is that, you know, you might say, oh, I want to become a fool for Christ, and I want to be put down because I want to become holy. Well, we don't have to attempt to become a fool for Christ we, in our everyday life, we have experiences where people put us down and how much we jump within our hearts and how much we have thoughts against that person of revenge and hate. How much we despise when people ignore us. How much we despise when people put us down or slander us and, and, and. We don't have to go out and wear rags and to try and live a life of a fool for Christ, when we haven't even gone to the first step, which is even taking ordinary things of everyday life. And, you know, like it's, it's very silly for, for people to say, I can't really, uh, I, I love all people and I don't get bothered and I don't get bothered. When I hear that, I go, oh, poor person, they really, really don't understand themselves. Because 
even the saints, as we read, in the case of St. Xenia, sometimes she couldn't take it as well once when she, you read in the life that she chased some children with her walking stick because she became, it was just too much at times. So we see that even the saints at times couldn't take it. We read all these things. And what else do we learn from reading the life of, of reading St. Xenia's life? What else is there in there that we heard during the service? That we have to suffer. That she would take on herself voluntary sufferings by being out in the cold or being out in the hot and still uh, and, and doing that because she felt that by, by suffering in her body she can unite more with Christ. And that's why the Orthodox Church has what's called uh, certain practices like fasting, which makes the body humble, prostrations, which humbles the body, when we up and down, some people do 50, 30, 40, whatever. But also God gives us sicknesses, and that can make up for the asceticism that we lack. Because a lot of us, we're not in monasteries, and a lot of people don't uh, live an ascetical life in the desert, and we don't have, or, or our lives are not like St. Xenia's. But when God sees someone really wants to uh, come close to him, what does he do? He sends us sicknesses to make up because you know what happens when we practice asceticism, that means when we overdo it, when we actually try and imitate the saints to their degree, where they used to eat bread every day, just a little bit of bread, or drink a cup of water only, or go and live outside in the cold, and all these things that the saints did, remember that those things are very hard to do, when we try to put those things into practice, what happens is we become proud. And especially in the days that we live, where pride is a way of life, humility has been just about thrown out, people don't even know what it means anymore, we are so proud that we don't even know that while we're doing some ascetical practices like a more prayer, that we are becoming proud because it's so subtle. Subtle means you don't even know it's happening. Just like when you watch TV. When you watch TV, the TV can present to you whatever it wants and you don't know because it's happening in your subconscious. You don't know. You might think, oh, I'm strong. But it's happening, and we know about those things where they have messages within the messages and all those type of things, and people you know, don't understand that while they're watching a show or something like that, then suddenly they get a craving for Kentucky Fry, and they don't understand why they're running out to go and buy some... When it was done within... I'm not sure if they do it, but it's been proven that they do things like that, not them, but other companies, or a drink, or whatever. So that's the same as in our everyday spiritual life. The more, our, the more our minds are weak, which a lot of us are, the more the demons have access. Pride brings demons. And they have access to our minds and to our hearts where we don't notice it. But the saints, because they were so holy, would feel the entry of these spirits. They had discernment. They knew what was right and what was wrong. They knew whether something was angelic, whether something was natural, whether something was demonic. We don't have that gift. So we become very proud easily. So what does God do? He still wants us to 
practice our, we have to try and do the fasts and try and pray, etc. However, he knows, being God, that we actually can fall into worse because of our pride. When God sees someone who has a good disposition, in other words, when he sees someone who has a good heart and really wants to uh, be saved, then he sends them involuntary sufferings. Because it's easy when we do something to ourselves, but we don't like when others do it to us. So it's easy to fast or easy to do prayers when it's from pride, but when someone else tells us to do it, it's hard. For example, a a young man went to a monastery who had lived in the world and he was leading a spiritual life, prostrations and prayers, etc. And he goes to the monastery and... The spiritual father says, and tell me about your life while you're in the world. He goes, well, father, while I was in the world, I would fast and I would do this and do that. And I used to do 1,000 prostrations a day. And the elder said, well, that's not necessary. What I want you to do is just, I forgot what it was. Let's just say just 10 a day, just 10 prostrations or 20 or whatever. So the the young man said, that's easy because I was doing 1,000 in the world. So off he goes and starts to lead his spiritual life as a novice. And what happened was that he couldn't do those ten. Because when he was doing the thousand, it was out of pride, and the demons were helping. But when he had to do it from himself, sorry, when he had to do it under instruction, you see, when you do something under instruction, it's, it's like it squashes our ego, which is great, all of us. We don't like to be told. And then the demons all of a sudden come and make the person heavy, not to be able to do much, to bombard them, etc. So God sends, and because we, as or you people, don't live in a monastery whereby you have a spiritual father that can do this, what does God do? He sends afflictions. He sends sicknesses. And through these afflictions, through these sicknesses, including mental illnesses. Actually, one person, one person I, someone told me lately that they read, some, pers- some Orthodox Christian holy person actually prayed to God and said, give me a mental illness because through the mental illness I will be saved because it's so difficult to bear, but so many sins are wiped off when someone has a mental illness. Father Seraphim Rose in America, the convert, a very holy person, actually said that today the podvig, which is in Russian, which is like a, a, a form of asceticism, like someone's podvig or someone's askisism, you say in Greek, I don't know how to say it in English, but someone's ascetical feet could be um, his fasting or something else, or something else, you know, whatever. Everyone's got something which is helping him in his spiritual life. Well, Saint Father Seraphim Rose says that mental illness can help us in our spiritual life because it gives us humility. It, we are, it, it wipes off many sins. But today a lot of people say, no, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that because people make fun of me. But then we go back to the life of Saint Senya where you say, I want to become like saying Senya and be ridiculed. But we have our opportunity a lot of times to be ridiculed through our physical sicknesses 
where people can stare at us because of some physical problem that we've got. It could be physical, our face, it could be a lot of things. Our size. Or someone can be ridiculed by the world because of their mental disability. There we have the example of Saint Senya where we're not bringing it on ourselves as she did because she had the humility to be able to do it without falling into pride while if we try and do it we'll fall into pride and, and lose our souls but God gives it to us all God wants is one thing he wants us to move one foot forward if we move one foot forward he will do the rest Some people are scared to move one foot forward yet. But when, you, when we move one foot forward, like we see the example of the prodigal son in the, in, the, in the gospel, we see that when he decided to come back to his father, which is what's called repentance, then the father, which represents God, ran out and fell on his son, kissed him on the neck, etc. And the son said, I'm sorry. I'm... And it was like you can see from the parable that it was like the father ignored those words and said to his servants, bring the fatted calf and bring the new clothes and bring the ring and bring new shoes, meaning that God redresses us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we lost due to our sins and apostasy or when we fell away. So we see from that how God ran to the person. And that's the same with us. When we make steps forward, that's all we need to do, just a little step, not much, because we don't know what to do a lot of times. When we make a step forward, then God makes a thousand steps towards us. And one of those steps, which I will leave off on, is to read the lives of saints. If we read the lives of saints, that's a step. That's pleasing to God. Read, some, read a little bit of the, of the New Testament every day. That's pleasing to God. Keep the fast to whatever level the person can without making themselves to the point of ridiculous and sick. That's, that's something. But the best of them all is after you've done all those things, which can, as I said, lead us into some pride there, vainglory, is when God has uh, understood, when, when he's made the decision that you really, when the person's looking for salvation, the person wants to be saved, in other words, the person wants to repent, the person wants to change their life, the person wants to be united with him, then he will, look at those little things, many of which could be making us at the same time proud, and we could be doing it out of um, vainglory, but he takes all those things and says, this person I feel is really sincere and wants to be saved, and then opens the doors. And what are the doors? The doors are sicknesses, afflictions, wars, financial catastrophes, losing of jobs, losing of children, losing of a spouse, whatever it may be, it means that that is for our, that is for our good. So we do the voluntary things in the church, but the most important is especially when God gives us his own medicine, his particular medicine, and that can make up, the Holy Father say, a person who's sick, a person who's sick every day and takes it with patience 
and asks God for forgiveness and asks God for strength, etc., a person who's going through a horrible sickness can be equivalent to a great saint who practiced asceticism in the, in the um, desert for many, many decades. But we get confused and we forget about all these things. We forget that sicknesses are good for us and mental illness is good for us and afflictions are good for us and other trials are good for us. We forget all that and we think that the mark of a spiritual person is one, when they don't sin, two, when they go to church all the time, three, when they keep up their prayers, four, when they do the fasts, and five, when they read some spiritual books, and then when we do a couple of good deeds, and this is the mark of a true Orthodox Christian. They are a basis, but the true mark of an Orthodox Christian is how a person takes what God gives them as medicine for the salvation of their soul. So if we remember that, let us not complain when we are given those things. And I have to say that today, many people, the more and more I come across people, the more and more I notice that people are suffering, especially from mental issues. But we have to humble ourselves and know that these sicknesses can give us salvation. If we know that, then we are already just about in paradise. Amen.